0: Great. Um, I've just um, got back from three-day conference, intensive conference, boy, it was intensive as well, It, it um, on um, kind of on outreach, really, on a, a, an extension, really, of the four fields training that we did here in September. And it was great because my son, Neil, came with me. And um, I'm, I'm feeling a bit like a proud dad because... Uh, Neil is is actually being appointed as lead elder of his church, full-time paid lead elder of his church in Croydon in two weeks' time. So in two weeks' time, Trusan and I are not going to be here. We'll be there, he's praying in um, as lead elder of his church. And it was great to have Neil with me um, when we went to this conference and just to be exposed to kind of ways of... um, Leading people, having a story to tell people to bring them to Christ. I might say a little bit more about that in my preach. Um, my preach was written before I went. Um, so any, everything I'm going to say was written before I, I went. Um, but I might just bring a few bits in as I go. Okay? So we are, as you will know, we are going through um, the what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, you know, blessed are you, another interpretation is flourishing. You will be flourishing if you do these things. That's why we've had the title, The Flourishing Life. So let's just read Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 9. Okay. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are Now, we live in a world where many people try to keep the peace. But not many know how to make peace. I don't know if you've ever seen, sometimes you see stories in the news of United Nations peacekeeping forces. They get sent into areas of conflict. They, I think they often wear blue berets. Um, and they get sent to keep the peace, but when the conflict re-arises, as it often tends to, they're, they're powerless to stop it. They have no mandate to start using their guns because it would be seen as if they were almost taking sides and fighting with somebody. So they're there to keep the peace, which is fine as long as there is peace, but if there is no peace, there's not much they can do. There's a difference between peacekeepers peacekeepers, and peacemakers, but we're called to be peacemakers. Being a peacemaker assumes that there isn't already peace in place, and we somehow have to make it. Peacekeeping assumes that there is a peace in place. Peacekeeping assumes that the peace is there, and we just need to keep it going. Peacemaking assumes there's no existing peace and that we have to find ways and means whatever using whatever materials we have to hand to make, build and create peace. And of course, the scripture says we will be flourishing or blessed if we are peacemakers. I guess it might help us to consider what the word peace actually means. Now, I'm no Greek or Aramaic scholar. It's all Greek to me. Uh, But many of us would be familiar, I think, with the Jewish word shalom. And that, that shalom version of peace carries with it basically four types of meaning, all encapsulated in the one word that we call peace. It, it was about wholeness of life or body, health, if you like. Peace was health. It's about right relationship between two parties, often established by some sort of covenant, some sort of agreement. We're at peace. We agree with one another. We've come to an agreement with one another. We're at peace. It also encapsulates ideas of prosperity and success and fulfillment in our lives. We're fulfilled. We're succeeding. There's blessing upon us. We've got peace. And then it talked about victory over your enemies or absence of war. So you've got peace. If you've been in a if you've been in a war with your enemies, and somehow that's now come to an end. And assuming, I guess, that, that you've not been overpowered by them, then you are at peace. I mean, you know, I guess a a parallel might be um, an island like Jersey or Guernsey during the Second World War, they were occupied. There wasn't fighting taking place, but you wouldn't say that they were under peace. So sometimes there was this this concept, this idea of we've got victory over our enemies. We're not overcome by our enemies, but the fighting has stopped. There was that concept of peace. So there were four things. we know we know we know peace is often used in scriptures and even today I think I think Jews might say to one another when they greet one another shalom peace it's a greeting or it can be a farewell it carries with it a notion of blessing it's almost like an actual substance that when peace was pronounced over somebody It made a difference, a tangible difference in their life. You know, there were at least 20 references to peace as a greeting in the New Testament. Peter, Paul, John start most of their letters, if you look, with grace and peace to you. That's how they start. They pronounce peace. Grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus. You know, there are many similar references where we're told to go in peace. Simeon, having seen uh, Jesus at the temple, we read in the scriptures, this elderly man was waiting to see the Son of God arrive, and he saw Jesus, and he said, now dismiss your servant in peace. And there are many references at the end of some of the New Testament letters. You know, there might be it might start with peace, grace and peace to you, And towards the end, it talks again about, you know, let the peace of God be with you. It's right at the beginning, and it's right at the end. In many cases, it's like a blessing and a farewell, peace. So, you can pronounce peace over a home or a person. Jesus did that in Luke 10, and the disciples were told to do it. Go to a home, pronounce peace. If the, if, if the person there is a man of peace your peace will rest with them if they're not your, their peace your peace will return to you it's almost like it's a substance it, it you know it's got it's got substance it, it goes to somebody and if they're not a person of peace it comes back to you you can pronounce peace you can be given peace in John 14 Jesus says my peace I give to you my peace I leave with you We can be given peace. You can give peace. You can live at peace with others. In Romans 12, we're told to live at peace. You can make an effort to keep in unity through the bond of peace. We read that in Ephesians 4. Make an effort to keep in unity through the bond of peace. There's an effort sometimes to making peace or even actually keeping peace. This is possibly the only time when peacekeeping is a valid thing to be thinking about because there is a peace we, we pray and trust amongst us as the people of God. God has brought us into peace and unity through, through himself. There is a peace that exists in the body of Christ, but it does need keeping. We have to make an effort sometimes to keep to it. Trevor was talking about that last week, wasn't he? You know, um sometimes how we can we can upset one another. you know it's just been being really said, you know these things happen. actually he's right and and we do need, in those occasions to make every effort to keep in unity through the bond of peace. There's a peace that has been made among us as God's people, but we do need to make an effort to keep it. In fact, we're told, to make every effort, to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, it says in Hebrews 12. So, in fact, as the Church of Christ, it's vital that we do make efforts to maintain unity and and keep our peace together. We make efforts by loving one another, by thinking more highly of others' Than of ourselves. These are some of the things the scriptures tell us to do. We make efforts to keep peace and love one another by speaking the truth in love. And I put that in big letters. Not just speaking the truth. Anyone can speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. And that's a whole different thing. And by resolving matters honestly, when things happen amongst us, We resolve them honestly. We don't brush them under the carpet. Because if you brush them under the carpet, eventually there'll be this great lump under the carpet and you'll trip over it. We, We resolve matters honestly and in love. In doing that, we keep the peace. We maintain unity through the bond of peace. And that's important. So we can live in peace. That's one of the things we see about peace. We can live in peace. And finally, in Revelation 6, in one of John's visions, he sees a rider that's sent to the earth to take peace from the earth. Don't know. Weird. But that's what it says. He sends a rider out in one of his visions to take peace from the earth. But the point I'm getting at is as though peace has a substance. It's not not this kind of quiet serenity and absence of strife, and it's all airy-fairy. It's actually, it affects our health, it affects our relationships, it affects our prosperity, and it affects our rest. It's powerful. You know, we can make... Peace, as I say, by speaking it out as a blessing, peace to you. We can make peace by praying for our rulers, our government, that we may live peaceful lives, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're told to pray for our government, that you may live peaceful lives. But, you know, the two greatest types of peace that we can make Firstly, is making peace with God. And secondly, helping others to make peace with God. I'll say that again. The two greatest types of peace that we can make are ourselves making peace with God and secondly, helping others to make peace with God. When we make peace with the God of peace, we are given true peace. The peace that Jesus gives to us. As I said in John 14, Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. That's the peace that we get when we get into a relationship with God through Jesus. That's the peace that we get. The, the New Testament makes it clear that once we were enemies of God. We didn't have peace with God. We had struggle with God. We had conflict with God. We, had the, we, had, we were living under the wrath of God. We weren't at peace with God. Before we came to know Christ, we were not at peace with God. That Christ has made us right with God through his death on the cross, so that now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, see that? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians. 5, verses 17 um, to 19, 17 to 18 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. Once we were enemies with God, now we have been reconciled through Christ. If we turn to Ephesians 2, verses 12 to 18... Paul writes of the time before we knew Christ. He's writing of the time before we knew Christ. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. And what that means is, at that time, the only people that had any dealings with the true and living God were the people of Israel, and he had made promises to them. And we weren't part of that. We were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, the two being those who were Jews who had access to God through their law-keeping, and us who had no access to God. He's made the two, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We'll carry on a bit further. By abolishing in his flesh, by his death on the cross, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and and peace to those who were near for through him We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Here Paul is saying that the old Jew-Gentile divide, one who was accessing God by obeying the law, and the other had nothing. They had no hope of ever accessing God. That's you and me, I think, for the most part. These have been joined and united, and peace has been made through Christ's sacrifice. So there's access to all into God's presence through Christ. There is no division. This is the greatest peace that has ever been made. Once we were separate, excluded, not able to benefit from all of the promises that were given to Abraham and others. In ancient times. But now we've been brought near. We have access to the Father. The barrier and the dividing wall has been destroyed. This is true peacemaking. But it doesn't end there. Let's look again at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. Just read a bit further this time. We read the first bit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We got that far. But it goes on to say, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is also true peacemaking. When we recognize that we can be made right with God and we be, we, are, we are become right with God, that's when we get true peacemaking. And when we help somebody else to realize that so that they can come into a relationship with God, that's also true peacemaking. Is God going to reconcile the world to himself apart from us? Is he just going to get on and do it, and we have no part in it? That's not how I read it. That's not how I read it. You know, if, if we think, that's great, I'm saved. Now, God, please do it for everybody else. Then we haven't understood 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20, if that's what we think. Because we have now been given the ministry of reconciliation, and we have now been given the message of reconciliation. Sure, it's Jesus who does the reconciling. We can't make people right with God. Only Jesus does that. But if you like, we're the introduction agency, you know, we're the dating agency. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the message. We are Christ's ambassadors to the world. You know, when the government wants to have some high level talks with France, generally the first person that's going to initiate those is the French is our ambassador to France, you know. It certainly isn't the queen that goes over and talks to them, but it will be our ambassador. It's like that with us. We are ambassadors to the world, to a world that's at enmity with God, to a world that's not at peace with God, to a world that's against God. You know, we have been given the message that will make peace between God and man. And you have all you need to make peace between God and a sinful, broken world. Wow, what a task. What a responsibility. What a blessing if we do it. What a blessing if we're peacemakers and called children of God. You know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But you know what? We're his brothers. And we're being made into his likeness. And James 3 says we're being made into the likeness of God. So it's not surprising that we, like him, should be part of this peacemaking process between God and man. Jesus does the peacemaking, but we're involved. If making peace between God and man is what our big brother, our greater brother, Jesus, does. And if we're being changed into his likeness, then it's unavoidable that we should do likewise. The logic is is irrefutable. If that's what Jesus does, and we're being made into his likeness, hey, we've got a part to play. That's what we do. You know, furthermore, in Romans Eight verse fourteen to seventeen. There's been a lot of references to Romans eight this morning. I think we should read it sometime. Because those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. Can I just say on this, when it talks about sonship, that's for male and female. It's not that it's just ma- no, it's male and female. And sonship, in the context of this writing, it was sons who came to an inheritance. Okay, so it's saying that you, male or female, you come into an inheritance. Okay, you're not excluded. So you did not receive a spirit of fear that makes you a slave again to fear. Sorry, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. So there's a reverse logic here. The Scriptures say that we are children of God. We are children of God. Therefore, we must surely be peacemakers. If peacemakers are children of God, well, if we're children of God, we must be peacemakers. And the scriptures also say, and back that up, that we've been given this message. Of reconciliation. So, in conclusion, firstly, if you don't know Jesus, and I don't know, you alone know whether you have made a decision for Jesus. Be reconciled with God through Christ. Have you been reconciled with God? And what I'd say is, you may have, in your heart, made that decision, but have you ever publicly made that decision? And if you want to, you can do that this morning. If you want to be reconciled with Jesus today, and if you want to publicly testify to that, you can do so. Secondly, Get involved in this ministry of reconciliation. Be an ambassador for Christ. Share the good news. You know, if you want help with this, then please come along to our following and fishing training on the 18th of May. We will help you and train you to help you share your story and share the gospel because some people say I don't know what I'd say if somebody said to me well what's it mean to be a Christian why are you a Christian what what, is, what do you have to do some people say well I don't know that I know what to say well we will try and help you with that we'll try and help you to find out what you can say and how to share your story So I would say, please come along. We did it, if you remember, go back a couple of years, maybe 18 months ago or so, we were looking at 1 Peter. And in that, there was the verse, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have within you. Something like that. Always be prepared. And the big word that stood out for me, and that was the word prepared. Always be prepared to give a reason. And actually, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to get... Prepared. Sometimes that takes a little bit of thought and practice. Because if someone comes up to us, you might be prepared to do it. I'm prepared to do it, but I'm not prepared because I don't know what to say. Do you get the difference? You can be prepared. I'm prepared to go and talk to somebody about Jesus, but I'm not prepared in terms of I know what I'm going to say. But you can be. We'll try to help you to be not only prepared to go and do it, but prepared to what you're going to say. If someone asks you about Jesus, and the way you say it may be different from the way I say it, but I will give you some tools and some ways of helping you. Be a peacemaker. Be called a child of God. Live a flourishing life.